There is no error with your audio outputs. Do not attempt to fix any sound issues. We are monitoring you with this device. We control your options and settings. We are transmitting through your internet connection, but our signal is actually entering your mind, sending electrical impulses into the very tissues of your brain. Try to stay calm. We've taken over your senses for the duration of this broadcast. You are helpless to resist. We have taken control for your own sake. There are things you must know. This is Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olaf Phillips and Ron Patton. And welcome to another thrilling Paranoia podcast. Uh, I am Olaf Phillips. I am the publisher of Paranoia Magazine. On the line, I have my uh, my bud here, Ron Patton, our editor-in-chief. Ron. Hello, everybody, and welcome. That was good, Ron. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, I'm very succinct and to the point, especially a, right, after, right after work, you know. Yeah, it's a very succinct I, and to the point kind of day. Yeah, well, I'm a man of few words, but whatever I say, it's sometimes profound so there you go there you go all right so so a little bit of news before we get to the interview uh so we are working on the gofundme for camp paranoia um it is being wow it's like a windstorm it's uh it's being done uh edited because uh, i have very poor uh, punctuation but we got some good stuff t-shirts uh challenge coin pins and uh, a whole bunch of other stuff that, that we're going to offer up. So please, please, please uh, donate a few bucks. And actually, Ron, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Leia, she uh, she pointed something out to me today that there's some operation up in Portland where they have, like, beer and science nights. So you go get wasted on beer. And you talk about sci- uh-huh. science shit, right? And they're, right. They, they're uh, having a camp out on – at a private campground on somebody's farm in east uh-huh. in, in eastern Oregon during the eclipse. Huh. And they're, yeah. They're, yeah. Well, actually, um, I just found out that Clyde and I might be doing a uh, remote uh, Salem. Right here where the uh, eclipse is going to be. So, you know, that's kind of neat. Well, no, but it's what, on a farm. But what I was saying is that, that they're they're doing this camp out at a private campground on somebody's farm and they're uh-huh. gonna have speakers and I thought to myself, Well no shit, that's what Camp Paranoia is gonna do. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, so you know, Camp, camp Paranoia. Exactly. I know. Too, too bad that we can't get Camp Paranoia going out because that would be an awesome that'd be awesome. Oh yeah. But you know awesome. it, yeah. But basically But then again, you know, it might not be in that though. Yeah, but basically what we're trying to do with Camp Paranoia is that we're trying to, uh, you know, build an, uh, a campground, basically, where people can meet uh-huh. up and wilderness and look for Bigfoot and UFO, right. talk yeah. about conspiracy stuff, and, and have a good time. So, exactly. uh, announcements on that coming soon. Um, I am, cool. yes, about to send, I believe I have all the articles now, so I am behind. But I'm going to be sending uh, all the articles for layout, so we should have a new issue here in about a week Good. or two. Yeah, very exciting. Yeah. 
Uh, we got a late late article from uh, Hercules. Hercules has contributed. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Hercules, yeah. uh, he was a great, great uh, interview we oh, had. Yes. Something yes. that's just so different, you know, it was just so, like, offbeat, yet kind of like, uh, I don't know. It made He made the superheroes kind of come to life, kind of yeah. like the origin, mythology of, yeah. you know. And we're we're gonna have him back. He he wants to do a show about, you know, finding your inner inner superhero and and living life mythically, which I think is pretty, right. pretty awesome. But you know, so uh, yeah, that's gonna be coming. And Walter Bosley has done a major article for us, uh, which is gonna be very interesting about the bell. Uh huh. <clears throat> but I think that's uh, that's my announcements. Oh yes, if you are on iTunes, you need to like us. And say that we're cool. If you're on Stitcher, you're on SoundCloud or whatever, you need to like us and say we're cool. You need to tell your friends. And for those guys that are listening on a shortwave, yes, uh, I have your your addresses, and I'm going to get QSL cards. And I'm just behind the eight ball on that. But uh, we got a very nice letter from a guy in South Africa uh, who uh-huh. heard us. He was in where was he? He was in the Czech Republic, I think. On vacation, uh-huh. wow! On vacation, and he heard the the podcast aired on a shortwave because you know we broadcast on shortwave on Sundays, right? Uh, 60, 70 kilohertz, uh, the old Deutsche Welle uh, frequency. So if Excellent. you're in Europe, you can listen to us on shortwave on Sundays at twenty twenty hundred UTC to twenty one hundred. Uh, I'm going to talk to the guy to see if we can make that twenty hundred to twenty two hundred UTC, but we're not there yet. So th- does that mean we get? more a broader range more listeners well um on shortwave when we broadcast when our podcast is broadcast on shortwave we basically blanket western europe and well into russia nice yeah we've gotten people from moscow and saint petersburg Mm -hmm. who have heard us the czech republic france uh scandinavia like norway Mm -hmm. uh a whole bunch of different places that's great yeah, yeah, it's pretty exciting. I'm I'm glad we we worked out a deal with those guys. Bye. All right, so I think we've had this uh, poor guy on hold for a while, at least two and about three minutes, and uh, I think he wants to talk. And I know uh, Ron wants to introduce him. So Ron, why don't you introduce our our fabulous guest for tonight? Okay, well tonight we have Garen Franson. He's been a very good friend of mine for man since '91. So. You do the math. That's uh, quite a few years. Uh, Garen uh, has done a m- number of things, a multitude of different things, but uh, he's also an inventor. Uh, and we've gone on some pretty crazy road trips in the past. Like back in the mid-90s, we'd go to like uh, alternative energy expos. We went to one in particular in Ukiah, California, and uh, we got to meet Stan Meyer, the inventor of the hydrogen fuel cell. We got to meet some people involved in uh, cold fusion. Um, yeah, so just we got to meet uh, this guy who's involved in inertial propulsion, uh, another guy in Portland who's involved in uh, putting together these gyro systems. But uh, anyway, Garen, welcome to the Paranoia Podcast. Well, thank you. And, uh, you know, I'll say that 
you know, Stan, Stan Meyer, um, anyone who's interested, I mean, who should really look him up a little more, but he died under, he was basically killed. He was poisoned. And then the people he was eating with who were visiting from Russia that wanted to buy him out ostensibly, they were, uh, they were just, uh, they were, they were, they just left the country. I mean, they were, they, the police talked to him and they just said, okay, you can go. And they just, they flew off never to be seen again. And, I always thought it was really sad and really strange because of all those people at at that energy conference. He ha- he really had an amazing um, concept to to work on. He was basically turning uh, water into energy by converting it to hydrogen on demand. He he had a he had alleged to have discovered a way to you know to convert water into hydrogen oxygen on demand. In, in, a, in a cost-effective way, and according to the known laws of science, it, it's not possible. But you know, nevertheless, he had done it. He 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 had done it, and he had proven it. And very controversial, but it was. Uh, but anyway, he always struck me as one of the simplest, one of the most straightforward people in that community that I'd ever met. And I've known a lot of really, um, let's just say, unique people within the energy field, both in. I've had, I have a background in um, in the oil industry, and, and I, I remember one guy from Exxon. I, I said, "Well, if you can if you can if you can make synthetic motor oil, why can't you make synthetic motor fuel?" And he said, he laughed. He said, "Well, we could, but what would we do with all the refineries?" <laughs> right. And um, there's a, and and that's what I'm really interested in in uh, in, in discussing with y'all. Is, and I think people people really and this is. I think anyone who listens to this can at least have some points to ponder, and they they can draw their own conclusions. I'm not trying to lead people into, oh, you know, um, into any conclusion, but I want them to ponder the costs and consequences of some decisions that are hand for humanity in general. And most people are only they only look at things from extreme. You're either us or them. You know, anything we have in, in America, particularly. We have a very uh, diametrical viewpoints abound. I mean, you either have liberal or conservative. There's not much in a, in a true moderate position on most viewpoints. It's very much, you know, the Jerry Springer of world affairs for for people who remember Jerry Springer from years gone. Oh yeah. He just run around and he just sensationalized yep. and everything. Long, huh? I, I yeah. think yeah. Morton Downey but, Jr. Yeah, yeah him too. Oh, yeah. And then you know, and then there were some what? of the but talk shows are that way. They just want to. They don't really care about reaching an answer. They just want to lots of drama. They just want to get the audience stirred up. Get them all and, right. And um, anyway, yeah. And so anyway, this is the thing though is that most. I remember a while back someone who told me he goes, well, you know, well we have to come up with we have to come up with free energy. And I'm like, well, why? You know, the people is like, well, because it's for the people. I'm like. Look around the world. Do the people really deserve it? I mean, what are they doing with the energy they have? I mean, if you gave right. people free energy, I mean, what, what would they do? Mm-hmm. I mean, what what would they do if they, if everybody got free energy? They just they, a lot of people would just spend the money somewhere else, and probably in a pretty selfish manner. They probably would not run out and say how how can we help those in the in the rest of the world eat and have and have clean water now that we have enough energy. They'd be like, oh, cool, I can get a louder stereo, so I can annoy more people with my obnoxious car. But um, that's how a lot of a lot of people would respond. If they had free energy, it'd be cool. More for me. Here's the thing: energy in this universe and matter eventually, at, at, at a subatomic level, level, definitely converge. Even known known science will admit energy and matter at a certain level are virtually indistinguishable. If you if you get really mm-hmm. down into subatomic nitty gritty, 
here on the, the, the larger level, the level that we live and move in, energy is one thing. Matter is another to most people. It's either, as totally different. But yet, in the oil industry, you have plastic. Energy and oil and plastic being energy and matter. Oil, if we come up with an alternative for oil right mm-hmm. now that is universally acceptable, where are we going to get our plastic? The world revolves around plastic as much as it does around oil. And what, I was, what I've been talking with Ron is, and this goes back into to politics in a, in a practical, applied way, while people complain about is global warming real or is it not, the question is, you know, whether or not it is real or whether or not it is human-caused can be disputed by people ad nauseum. But in the meantime, how much more plastic can we dump in the ocean till it actually affects the air that we breathe? Because if you kill off the oceans, if you kill off the oceans in a significant way, oceans produce most of man's oxygen. So while right. we argue about the, the melting of the ice cap and various things – we we are we are producing in in an absolutely inconceivable amount of plastic that we're just dumping in the oceans. And so I said, well, how are we going how are we going to manage this? Well, let's figure out a way to scoop the plastic out of the ocean. The ocean will actually, if you will, regurgitate that plastic back out on shore. It, it will it will it will gradually clean itself out in a fairly quickly manner, fairly quick manner. But if right. we go ahead and just keep dumping it in there and try to figure out a way to manage it. We play into the whole mentality of that we get into problem management instead of problem solution. Mm-hmm. So if we have a way, if we come up with a way, a better way or, or numerous different ways to provide an alternative for energy, in the meantime, all this plastic that, that our world our world economy revolves around, energy and plastic that we go through every single day. We, we're going to have to have better management of energy and better management of plastic. Even if we have a better source of energy, we're not going to get that plastic for free. And we're not going to be able to just recycle that plastic without exorbitant amounts of energy and money and an infrastructure that doesn't exist. And mm-hmm. most people just don't, they just don't care. Right. They figure, well, if someone else is going to have to solve it for me. And if not, I'm just going to devour my world. So there. And it's like, and, and I'm not taking um, a green political point, you know, it's like, you know, going on some tangent with it, but right. it really is a nitty gritty, it's a nitty gritty reality, but it shows in this one, this, and this is the important thing, that most people don't care. <laughs> you know? right. Most people well, say, yeah. well, what's up, you know, yeah, go ahead. It's just the, you know, the powers that be create that, that problem, that issue, and it all kind of plays this it. whole di- dialectic, right, to where they, they create the, the issue or the problem. And then, you know, they say, oh, you can, uh, we'll, we'll do this, you know, we'll recycle or we'll do whatever. And most of, most of their answers are essentially just a, a Band-Aid effect. But then, it, you know, people are under the assumption that they're empowered and they can do this or do that. But if they don't take substantial or make substantial changes in, uh, uh, you know, with, with the resources that we have, then, it, then it's, you know, it's sort of a moot point to me anyway. Well, it is. But it, it, oh, no, well, it is because if, if people, did you want to get say, is, is Olaf chiming in on this? Does he have comments or anything? Yeah, actually, I do. <clears throat> it's interesting that you talk about the oceans because, you know, my, my obsession is with something called Alternative 3. 
and one of the very important factors in Alternative Three uh, was the the uh, the need to carry it out <clears throat> was a, a study done by a guy named Roger Ravel uh, from Scripps Oceanographic Institute back in the 50s. And what he did is a pioneering study in the late 50s of uh, phytoplankton, which are basically supposedly yep. the oxygen scrubbers of the sea. And he, mm -hmm. he said that in the late 50s that they were producing half of the oxygen cleansing that they were supposed to because of pollution and because of over-industrialization. And right. they, they were at half capacity. And it, that's also something that I've heard Guy McPherson talk about where, you know, Guy McPherson, I love the guy. He's he's a, a little more doom and gloom than me. Um, you know, uh -huh. he, he says that because of rampant over-industrialization and pollution and dumping crap in the air and whatever, that, that we'll probably be dead in the next 20, 30 years. I, I personally, I don't have the PhD to support it like he does, but, you know, I have a sneaky suspicion it's going to take a little longer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, dumping crap into the ocean and dumping, you know, venting uh, nuclear reactors into the ocean. I mean, it just it creates more dead spots, which is what you're talking about. More whales washing up on shore, you know, more confused dolphins and, and all the other things that we see as a byproduct of it. You know, this is this is the thing is when we look at it, a lot of times people are like, there's a lot of things that we, we become desensitized in our in our mass consumption of information um, in the, the modern multimedia, um, alternative media, internet realm, a lot of people are very, very quick to just disregard things. Well, that's boring or that's depressing. I don't like that. So I'm going to go back on Facebook and listen to nonsense and just, you know, what did someone eat today? But in the meantime, as people go ahead and do this, I think that people are not really grasping literally millions of tons of plastic are going in the ocean every year. Well, they're, okay. they're like artificial as as, islands now. I mean, they, there's, there's. Like, oh no, no, no! They crazy. are huge. I mean, the size of Texas. Wow. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, the Pacific, the Great Pacific, you know, garbage patch is, or, and there's actually several, but the big one is the size of Texas, oh, and yeah. as many as one trillion plastic bags alone, not counting water bottles, but just the bags, one trillion a year are going in the ocean. That's just the bags. What's and, in the bags, like the bottles? And the the other thing that, that I was going to say is that, you know, I always enjoy the people that come up to me after a lecture or whatever, and they say, well, you know, you know, global warming isn't man-made. Global warming is a natural cycle. And I, I tell them, you know, that's great. I don't really care. It doesn't matter whether it's a natural cycle or it's a, it's a man-made thing. You know, dumping particulate into the air is not helping the situation. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, the, the poles right. are shrinking. And... What you need to understand about that is that there's this thing called the conveyor belt, and if and if the uh, the moves, you know, warm water up into the polar regions and cools it, and you know, the more those ice lines recede, the more uh, fresh water is dumped into the ocean, the more it screws with the salinity of the ocean, then the phytoplankton die, the whales kill themselves, the dolphins become right. confused, and eventually we're going to end up in an ice age. So right. you know, yeah. I don't I don't care if you think we made it or not. We have to manage it. Yeah. You gotta look at the end results. Yeah, it, and, you still have to yeah, manage it. Right. 
Well, it changes. It, it really, you know, you change the subject, confuse the issue, which has worked really well with certain famous jury trials like O.J. Simpson. You know, you just keep, we don't like that, so we're just going to change the subject, confuse the issue, and we'll just argue about it till we get tired of it, and then we'll argue about something else. In the meantime, the original problem is still there. there but there is more money and more power, not to be forgotten, but there is more power and more control in problem management than there is in problem solution. If you perpetuate the problem, you can actually carve out a nice career for yourself and future generations of bureaucrats if there are any. Now, water, water in California, Southern California, a really intelligent co comment is succinct, is that there was a, one of the attorneys between Phoenix and Los Angeles that were fighting over the Colorado, use of the Colorado River. He said, well, my kids are all gonna, will be able to go to any college they want, but I don't know what they're going to be able to be drinking in 20 years. Because there there isn't enough water for either city at the current at the current rate, and water water is is front and center. The thing about it is, what I, you know I've mentioned before is that energy and the use of energy, and the the snowball effect of, of man's consumeristic you know mindless disposable mentality that there's just always going to be more to consume and destroy, is um, within energy. When I, when I mentioned plastic is that we go through so much plastic and we, we don't have the energy or the resources to recycle it cost effectively. So we just dump it in the ocean. The uh -huh. plastic then breaks down. The plastic breaks down into into smaller particles. And a lot of those particles are um, they're, they're like you're saying, they're, they're directly destroying the plankton that supplies most of our oxygen. That the more than the forests of the earth, the plankton in the ocean and Jacques Cousteau said this, I mean, decades ago, he was trying to warn people, if you destroy the oceans, you aren't going to have anything to breathe. Pretty you much. don't have to worry about water or food or energy. You're not well, going to have any air. That's, you know? that, that's why I and found I'm, what Roger Ravel said so frightening. And I think right. when, I, when I saw that, because, you know, the, it's, a, it's a mockumentary, and basically what I set out to do is to prove that it was fundamentally true and and they make a bunch of prognostications in it so i went prognostication by prognostication and i remember there's a scene where they're they're walking through a college that doesn't exist and he said there was a meeting the guy the the professor Ballantyne says there was a meeting a great meeting in the late 50s of the american chemical society and they figured this stuff out and it's true there was a major meeting in the american chemical society and roger Ravel basically said you know hey hey guys you're all going to suffocate in about 100 years <laughs> right Ooh, yeah. yeah well if you have see without if you don't if you take away and this is i guess just for the sake of clarification from what i said earlier if you take away big oil because you had a you had an all new alternative energy or successful group of alternative energies the oil, the the right now we get plastic for free because it's just it's just waste matter in the oil process. The big oil companies, the spinoff of the hydrochemical refinery process from the oil business generates all the material to create the plastic. Suddenly, if you had to dispose of billions of barrels of oil to make more plastic, the whole world economy would be in 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 chaos. I mean, they they wouldn't they wouldn't they couldn't allow it because of their greed and their blindness. They, they, where would you put all this oil? Now that goes into kind of into phase two. And again, what I want to do is I want people to really realize. Okay, let, let's take like you're saying. All right, comes about whether it's a natural cycle or it's man aggravated. I'm going to say realistically, it's probably a little bit of both. It is a natural cycle, but you know you can hasten the curve, and that's what's Absolutely. happening is like Absolutely. Yellowstone. 
yeah. When I was in North Dakota working in the in, I worked out there for a while. Um, and I'll say this that people have no idea when, unless you're up there what's really happening, unless you're really aware of it. It is true. There's there without going into the like, for example, the big pipeline fiasco that everybody's been had hurt pretty much heard about. There are five pipelines that go through that area already, but it wasn't the first one. But it was that that one. They the, the there were people in the tribe that wanted more money. There are other people that were like, no, the earth is sacred. But there was a there was everyone was pushing and pulling on. It, but that was the, that was not the first, last, or only pipeline. They make it out like it's the big pipeline that's going to change the world because it, it's it's media mania. But mm-hmm. but this thing about when the when when the North Dakota when the Bakken oil field was at its was at its peak it was burning off over 300 million cubic feet of natural gas into the sky every day but if 300 that's enough to cook a hot meal for everyone in america every day whatever you eat you could have a hot meal every day on what they were burning into the sky now you can't tell me oh i can't spill freon because you know that's against the law because you know we're gonna we have you know but you can go out here and just and just burn off 300 cubic 300 million cubic feet a day when my friend's wife went out there she said she went out there and she looked around for those who are familiar with lord of the rings it was at night when they showed up and she's driving out there fire everywhere looks like you're in the midst of a forest fire all these oil all these flares just burning in the sky and she goes oh the fires of mordor like as in you know because it's what it looked like it looked like like a fire like a forest fire in the desert all these all these burning rigs Meanwhile, they'd have tractor trailers parked at the rig to heat these huge, like redneck swimming pools that uh-huh. look like you know something you buy from Walmart. They have like a half a million gallons of water in them that are you know that are that are for fracking, and they mix it with acid. If you spill that acid that's used in the process on the ground, oh, you call out the guys in the white suits. If a tractor trailer spills those chemicals that are used in that process, they come out you know helicopters, white suits, shut down both sides of the interstate. I mean, it's bad stuff. But if you show up at the rig site and you inject it with tractor, trailer, V12, Caterpillar, diesel engines on 100,000 pounds, just pumping this stuff in the earth like no tomorrow. Meanwhile, you have Yellowstone. The last time the Yellowstone – it's on the foothills of the Yellowstone supervolcano. Right. As in, for those of you might have heard today with Montana with the big earthquake. Yeah, and all the – you know, they have, they've had an- – yeah. And they've had animal die-offs where they find these dead herds because – and, and like okay, and so I don't ramble or get too much information. In Southern California, there are numerous oil rigs right in the the metro area. If you have a major or when you have a major earthquake, they put off methane. Methane is toxic and explosive. If those rigs all open up, anyone in those metro areas nearby, they've evacuated. They've had earthquakes, had tremors and earthquakes, and those those rigs have leaked, and they've evacuated whole areas. Hardly even makes the news. Mm-hmm. But this is this is the thing, the the Yellowstone going back to Yellowstone, the Yellowstone supervolcano, the last time it went off, which was really before recorded human history, it was it literally it has the power right now, it, at, 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 uh, the de- the next major geologically the next major eruption of the Yellowstone supervolcano will have the power of over six hundred and fifty thousand. Hiroshima-level atomic bombs from World War II. The human mind can't comprehend what 650,000 atomic bombs would, would be like. Mm. They, we can't imagine it, and yet we're just sitting there fracking like mad, like there's no tomorrow. You know, even still, 
this is the the bottom line, and so because it, it, it is something that I have passion for. It's not something I'm going to ramble or run on about, but I want people to understand if you do a basic, simplistic evaluation of what fracking is, it's a very sloppy form of drilling. You're using hydraulic fracturing of the rock to mm-hmm. break the rock open using water and acid under extreme pressures. You're, and then what happens is as the oil is extracted, waste water comes out by the tanker load, mm-hmm. sometimes more than the oil. That water has to be disposed of. In Oklahoma, the epicenter of all those earthquakes is a four-well disposal site where 24 hours a day, tractor treaders all over that little region out there run over to that four-well disposal site and in, and by the tanker loads lined up, they're just dumping under pressure, 20,000 feet down, extreme volumes of salt water and fresh water that came out of the earth from all over that region, that the oil is being removed, the water is all being dumped back in at one spot. When that happens, A, you have erosion. Like if you run water under a, the foundation of your house, it will, it, will, it will crack the foundation. It will erode, create a sinkhole, and you, know, you, will, you, will lose, you will lose your house. Well, it's, metaphorically, that's what's happening in the world right now with fracking is that all this water, if you stop all fracking that's already been done, for those, as long as those, wells can, those sloppy wells continue to produce, you're going to generate huge amounts of wastewater that's going to have to go down somewhere. When they put that, when they earthquake, Oklahoma never had earthquakes. Oklahoma now has is one of the most geologically, you know, active by, in terms of earthquakes in the U.S. And it's twenty thousand feet down, like BP, the BP Deepwater Horizon fiasco disaster in Louisiana. It was too deep to go down to fix. Only instead of being less than two miles down in water, it's four miles down in solid rock with a six-inch hole. You're not going to go down there and fix it. You can't drive bulldozers, tractor trailers, and concrete and go down there and, and repair the damage. The damage is done. And what I'm saying is all of that water, when you extract all that fresh water and salt water, it normally can't mix with the oil. It lubricates the plates. When you right. take all the oil out and you put, pull all the water out and then put the water only all back in one spot, you are wreaking mass chaos. And when yep. you're getting out enough gas, think of the pressures involved when you have 300 million cubic feet a day that you're just throwing away, what are you keeping? How much water are you moving? And you're right on the foothills of one of the largest volcanoes in, in on Earth. It's right. like, 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 there's no, like there's no consequences. And so what I'm yeah. saying is if we – yes, and like Olaf pointed out in, in, with, with the plastic from that, from that marine, marine scientist, marine biologist, marine scientist, that people – we can we can scoff and mock and, and say it's crazy, weird, or stupid or make fun of people because they seem to have the opposite viewpoint. But we all breathe the same air and all drink the same water. So if we can say, hey, look, we need to, we need to evaluate the costs and consequences. Is it worth it? Are there alternatives? Let's do something now before it's too late. You know, we, if you, the longer you wait, the worse are the consequences. Right. Kind of got to look at the uh, cost-benefit analysis and, and figure out you know, what's going to be most feasible. But again, it all kind of comes back to, you know, those people who are in charge of all the natural resources, you know, the oil companies, it basically, if they can't make a buck off of it, they don't really care. So essentially, you know, the uh, demise of the planet is really uh, not even really considered. 
I think. Well, it's, yeah, I agree. And the other, the other thing is like Stephen Hawking recently, he's constantly him and Elon Musk, the world listens like they're the only two scientists on earth, which <laughs> I will not go into, but yeah. You know, he's like, oh, well, we have to get off the planet because we've ruined this one. Well, not really. Have we learned anything? Or are we just going to become like that? those bad science fiction creatures that go around the galaxy just devouring worlds? Yeah. What did, yeah, go ahead. Kind of like a Philip K. Dick novel movie, <laughs> you know. Going well, also, one- it's like Enrico, well, you remember Enrico Fermi when he said, you know, behold, uh, in, in, in the quote, the quote, the basic, the, the synopsis says, behold, I've created Shiva, destroyer of worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, from from the bog from the Gito, and it's like, you know, when you when you look at it ex- with the atomic ex- explosion, when they realize what ha- look what I've created, and and you know, some of those scientists were were horribly depressed. Some some really didn't care. They thought it was cool. What can we screw mm-hmm. with next? And it was almost like a joke. I mean, there was. I mean, there's some. I'll, I'll, so I don't again don't ramble. Go off into to other. You know, don't get carried away with it. But there is a rock and if people look it up they called it the demon rock and the reason they called it the demon rock was two reckless thermonuclear scientists were uh they they played with it and they knew that they could create they mishandled it and it, it killed several people they were they were in the process of refining it um working with it to create nuclear bombs during early testing atomic bombs and um and Fermi actually told the one guy, he said, "You'll be dead within a year if you don't sh- if you don't stop showing off." And um, they said that there was that when he actually, when when it basically, by our terms, we say kind of he kind of short circuited it, so to speak. It slipped, made contact, and they say everyone, the people that were there, like they they, he 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 died breaking it free. He took him a couple weeks. He died a really horrible death. But anyone yeah. who looks it up wants to read about it. There's articles. About, I mean, it was a known phenomenon, but um, but the point was is that they were they were literally what he was doing in that lab was what they were all doing on a bigger scale with all of us. There is no safe way to play with thermonuclear weaponry. <laughs> you know, yeah. There is no yeah you, you know so yeah. Like he go, yeah yeah and but there was like a game to him, and then he died suffering the consequences because he was playing with extremely volatile powerful elements and it and it's and there's there's a lot of things right now that like i said it 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 concerns me and it should concern us i'm not i don't have anxiety over it um i get somewhat frustrated because i know most people do not know they do not care and they hide behind ignorance and ignorance is um ignorance by by choice is entirely different by than ignorance by circumstance people who are ignorant because they have no choice well you know that that they're to be pitied you know people that are people that are ignorant by choice that could know better and say well my phone's getting smarter even as i get stupider they're just making themselves easier to control right and and it's, and it's to their own destruction and the destruction of their children and mm-hmm. um and these things they really are happening they're not they're not they're not just um you know delusional ramblings of someone who spends too much time watching youtube videos i mean you know what we breathe and and what we drink are 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 crucial and there's a plenty of people right now in in, very, in larger power settings than ours and larger up in the higher in the pyramid that they full well know water is going to be and already is in many places like for example water in America drinking water plain old you know just generic drinking water from a convenience store costs about 10 times more than gasoline and you don't have to worry about you know if you buy a gallon of gas or if you bought you know water by by the 12 ounce bottle 
Um, the water is a lot more expensive gasoline. You don't have to worry about hazmat. You know, you don't need a refinery. <laughs> you know, you might even be able to just bottle it right out of tap water and just give them the cool spring water name. But right now it's, right. it's preposterously silly. But in a lot of the world, um, in the Middle East and, other, and in Africa, I mean, Nigeria is one of the world's largest producers of, of oil. And people don't realize that yet they're, they're in economic shambles. They have downtown, they have skyscrapers that have, have caught fire and burned and they can't fix them. So they just turn the elevators off so they don't stop on those floors. Well, we would think that's really ludicrous, but if you stop and think about it, that's what's happening right here in America with the highway system. We, we have highways and bridges that are and nuclear power plants that are reaching the end of their life cycle, and they're going to have to be replaced. And the people that built them, like nuclear power plants, when they reach after about 50 years, the whole plant has to be disposed of. At the time they were built, that wasn't that bad. Today, it's really complicated and expensive because of our obsession with over-engineering and excessive paperwork and bureaucracy. And no one knows, no one really knows who's going to pay for it, how it's going to be done, or what they're going to, what they're going to do about it. And, and all these power plants, you know, they don't just turn them off and go away. They, all, that, all that radioactive, all, that, all those components have to be properly disposed of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, <laughs> and, let's take a look at Fukushima, right? And uh, right. Well, there's and 15, Hanford, 15 Hanford nu- as well. There are 15 lot. nuclear power, 15 nuclear power plants on the, on the New Madrid or New Madrid fault line on the Mississippi River, which is which is the largest, most dangerous, in my opinion, and, and anyone. I mean, the fact is, the the New Madrid or New, or New Madrid fault line that runs up the Mississippi River. The last time it went off in the 1800s. It rang church bells in Canada. It, it it made the Mississippi River run backwards, and it formed Real Foot Lake in Tennessee that's still there today. There are 15 nuclear power plants on top that fault line. That, that, that's irrational. The only reason they're there is because the Mississippi water provides plenty of water for the cooling towers. Well, so they just built them all like, you know, yeah, go ahead. Well, that, that seems to be how they figure out where to put them. I mean, you know, here, it, it, you know it's, it's insanity. Well, it's industrial strength insanity. Well, I mean, you know, here when you drive south of San Francisco down the peninsula, uh, if you take um, was a two eighty, you know, you're running right along the uh, San Andreas fault line. <clears throat> and there's a there's kind of a flat area where the ocean is. Then there there's a little uh, hill range. And then there's a depression where the, the fault line is, and then it comes up, and then there's a freeway, right? And as you're driving down it, I mean, the Stanford Linear Accelerator is smack dab on top of it. So it's like we don't always right. think through where we put stuff. It was like, whoa, well, we need a linear accelerator. We own some land there. Let's just put it there. Well, if if that goes off in any significant way in the middle of a test, that could be very bad. You know? Well, and it's like it's like CERN. You know, there's um, there's there is a lot of um, it was very very reckless. I mean, it's the largest singular display of energy on a non-atomic level that man has ever achieved. And it's like let's just do it and see what happens. Like, like maybe we can make little micro black holes. Well, think about it. my black holes pretty serious. You know, and we're just going to do it just to see what happens. Yeah. For no real reason, just to see if we can do it. That's like shooting off fireworks, but you're talking about playing with the literal fabric of the time-space continuum, just to see what happens. No real point. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I remember you when, know, they, and it, when they fired off the, <clears throat> again, you know, I, 
I did a lot of research on Alternative Three, and one of the one of the things that they talk about is Alternative One, where they wanted to set off, you know, high altitude nuclear detonations to see if they could blow a hole in the upper atmosphere and vent all the garbage into space. Right. And it sounds insane. And they set it on fire. Yeah, and it sounds ins- insane. And I always tell people, I said, yeah, but these are the same, you know, brilliant guys who decided, well, we've got all these nuclear bombs. You know, let's let's uh, make a second Suez Canal, or you know, they they wanted to test it as part of plowshares, and so they set one off up in Alaska somewhere. And they made this beautiful harbor, perfectly circular harbor, that you can't use for like ten thousand years. And and when they actually did right. fire the rockets, it was called Project Hardtack Argus. They they were like, well, this guy in a lab somewhere was like, well, you know, if we set off these nuclear weapons, we can in space we can create a Create an artificial Van Allen radiation belt. So let's just do it. Let's just see if we can create another one. And they did. They failed to vent the CO2 into space because that's asinine. But, you know, but they they definitely it's well, called the Christophilus effect. I mean, it's you know, but they were was, afraid they were going to catch ahead. the air on fire. And you know, when they did these above ground nuclear weapons tests. They're like, are we going to catch all the air on fire and burn it? Oh, well, it's a risk. Let's just do it anyway. I mean, there, there's a lot of recklessness. Well, they know. were there was it was an it's an obsession because once they once they were they they literally the thermonuclear the development of the atomic bomb was on the level of they had the the people money manpower and resources it was approaching the level of General Motors it was not a small like. A lot of people get the perception it's just a few little guys in a laboratory that were just geniuses. Oh, no. They just figured out and it, it was a cities. massive effort. Entire cities yeah. of bomb and when they, Yeah, and when they did it, when they did it, they they were like, "Hey guys, you know, they, they, it, it was it was it was a distinct possibility, but the only way they're going to know it." And they were like, "Well, we spent too much time, money, and effort, so let's just do it." And usually they'll say, "Well, we had to do it so we could prevent, so we could uh, not have to invade Japan." Well, well, this is the thing: how far Japan. How was Japan going to fight the whole world single-handedly? Where were they going to get their oil? They wouldn't be able to run their war machine well, without Manchuria. oil, and they're an island country. You know? Well, they, well, I'm saying in Japan is an island. But Japan's an island country, you know. The very small, the whole they were they were all that was left of the Axis. And, you know, it wasn't just America. It wasn't like America was going to invade Russia. I mean, it, you have Russia. Russia did not declare uh, war on, on Japan till the end of the war. They were not at war. They had not filed a formal declaration of war because they were busy with Germany. Japan was kind of like not really wanting Russia to hit with America against them because they're right next to Russia. America could have just told Russia, hey, wipe those guys out and you can have their land. And they would have been like, no problem, we take it. Because <laughs> you know? sure. they had the manpower and they wouldn't have had to go all the way around the world because Japan and Russia are pretty close together. You know, and then Japan was looking at Russia more because Russia was ready to go after them. They were like, we'll take them now. Now we got Germany out of the way. Let's wipe out Japan. And everybody ignores them. Like it was America, America alone was going to take care of Japan. Let, let, they could have let Russia do it. But so, they had to make a point. They wanted revenge. They wanted revenge Pearl Harbor, and they had they put all this time, money, and resources in this atomic weapon. They had to use it. Go ahead. Well, so so what's the solution? I mean, you know, I, I mean, for me personally, oh, I you I know, I look at I look at the world, and obviously, I have my own my own filter, and you know, I see like the Chinese preparing because you know those a bit yeah. those like empty cities that they have. 
Like if you right. look at the positions of those empty cities, especially the long, the ones along the Mongolian border, and you look at the ones that are more inland, if you actually draw the lines, <clears throat> those empty cities out there in Mongolia, those are just below the ice line of where where the you know the the um, right. glaciers were in the ice age. And if you look at the ones that are inland. Those are just beyond where supposedly the water rise is going to flood the rest of the country. So obviously the Chinese are building these cities now. I mean, what what is the, the solution? Not, you know, we know there's a problem, but well, what's the solution to it? Okay, well, this first of all, on the, on the, let me say this, on the energy side of things, and I want to mention this before. The problem on the energy side is that man, humanity, is addicted to energy, electrical energy, mechanical energy, and plastic. Our whole world now, I mean, like, what would we use for an alternative? You know, if all energy, they say, it's been said, if electricity was shut down, science, science knows how, scientists know how electricity works. They really don't know why. They can, they can, they, they can, they can, they can, they can chronicle and chronologue and examine the process, but you don't really generate electricity. You stimulate or you manage electricity. There is electricity around us at all times. That's where you have where Tesla was really trying to look into, you know, turning like tapping into the earth as a giant battery, you know, as being able to with the Tesla coils and Tesla tower. And he was, he was really, you know, fascinated with is, is energy accessible at all times in all places. Um, Dr. Moray and other people, you know, they, they came up with ways to, tap into ambient energy around us all the time but what i'm saying is people are addicted to energy and plastic that man had, man did not have but 50 years i mean like okay 75 80 years ago most people in america did not have flushing toilets you know it is a lot of people that was a fairly up to about let's see about in the 1920s and 1930s it started becoming really really more common but um, people quickly became addicted to flushing toilets. They quickly became addicted to electricity. People have quickly become addicted to computers much faster than most people thought was possible. With the advent of touch screens and windows, suddenly everybody wanted, you know, people went computer crazy and everybody has a toy computer. Actually, as many people have, have multiple toy computers. Now they're addicted. If you sit and watch traffic go by at a red light or, you know, anywhere you go, suddenly everybody, the moment someone stops, they pull out their phone. But what would happen if they turn it off? They call it nomophobia, nomo cell phone. <laughs> right. And, it's, and, and, and so anyway, what I'm saying, though, is that the problem, but not the nuclear side, but the energy side, people got by without electricity for a really long time. They got by without plastic for a really long time. Now, what do we do about this plastic and this electricity that we're and mechanical energy we're so addicted to? Well, do we really need it, and what will happen to us if we don't have it? Well, mostly it's laziness. People are addicted to, to comfort, convenience, and the disposable mentality. Use, abuse, consume, and destroy. It's a lot like what George Washington Carver was up against. For those that aren't familiar with him, he was trying to explain to people, you know, you don't have to just slash and burn, you know, a farm. You know, use a farm, wear it out, and then move on into more land. Because he said, if you, if you do that, you're going to run out of land. I mean, it's, it's, it's not hard. And he was right. So he, he worked with peanuts, and he was trying to tell people you need to go through cycles with the land. You need to have sustainable use, sustainable growth. The math has to be there. Now, the, going up to the energy that you were saying, with, with, you know, what, is the, what is the answer? Um, when you mentioned those, those, some of those projects, I mean, things like HARP, um, you didn't mention, but 
most people go on and on about harp like what are they doing up there okay well what do they admit that they're doing up there they create a dipolar antenna that runs from alaska to arizona every time they turn it on which it's now active again and um and it literally jacks up the ionosphere 85,000 feet or more it will literally when they turn it on it creates a, an electrical antenna a non-material antenna dipolar that not bipolar, dipolar with a D that goes from Alaska to Arizona and it just cranks up the whole the whole atmosphere just gets jacked. Okay, well that that can't be good. Okay, you know, uh, and it's it's just to find out what happens. And I'm not even going into like all the conspiracy you know speculations. I hate the term conspiracy theory. I, I'm really more a fan of conspiracy history because uh, you know once it's revealed, suddenly it's just interesting history. Like oh that wasn't a crazy conspiracy. It was actually true. But um, this is the thing. Project, I'm jumping around slightly, and I'll go back to your question. But Project Dribble, for any, I'd encourage anyone to look that up. Is the only atomic weapon or atomic explosion that was ever detonated on American soil. It's known. It's admitted entirely. It was in on the Louisiana Mississippi border. They they blew up. The the, the farmer came in and he he hired an attorney. He said, "Well, I, I need you to help me with my taxes because they're." They raise my taxes, my property, and I can't afford it. And, and they say it's worth all this money. Every, nobody, every, nobody, every, nobody wants my land. Everybody around here knows this is where they did that 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 atomic bomb test. And the, I said, sir, there's never been an atomic bomb detonated. Oh, yes, there is. And this attorney, he looked it up, and he found out that it was it was it was public knowledge. It just wasn't it wasn't made. It was it wasn't something people really want to make into uh, you know bring into mass awareness and it still is most people have never heard of it but and you look it up it, it came out he not only did he get the guy's land reevaluated he actually got a settlement from the government they detonated an underground atomic explosion just to see what would happen to the groundwater and now that area is one of the highest concentrations of cancer in in america and it, and it's in my opinion it's not a conspiracy and it's not hidden I mean, it's acknowledged, it's admitted, and they told everybody around there, we want you to leave for two weeks, we're going to want you to leave for, you know, here, here's $50, go get a hotel room. And, that, and, and they left, and, and then they, 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 per, they basically permanently, seriously damaged their, their groundwater just to see what would happen with their own people and their own soil. Now, what is the answer to that? Well, first of all, it, it, is there an answer to insanity? I mean, you know, you know, it's like um, when it's criminal insanity, you know, um, in a court of law, you know, insanity is not always a um, automatic defense. A lot of people, they, they, when they're when they're deemed uh, criminally insane, a lot of times if they are sent to to a you know containment in a hospital, if they're ever cured. They sometimes are told, well, then they have to go. Then they go to prison. Now they're not insane anymore, but they still have they still have to answer for their actions. Other people are like, no, no, because they're insane, we'll treat them, and then they're cured, and and then we we'll just let them go. Well, in this industrial strength insanity that that we're talking about here, you know, and what is the answer to these things? On the one hand, on consumeristic uh, mind, consumeristic blindness. There really isn't an answer because people don't care. It, you know, if you want to try to change people's, you know, reckless consuming of their environment to the point of poisoning their water and destroying their air, if the majority of people, you know, really are willing to to take on those risks for themselves and their children, um, it's kind of like stopping a stampede. You almost have to let it run its course. You, it changing as far as changing 
those behaviors. Now, if you're going right. to come at it from a, a, a global police form, you know, of a, a global government, it's one more, you know, Hegelian dialectic of thesis plus antithesis equals synthesis. You create a problem. You have the only possible or logical, seemingly logical answer for that problem. And if you control that answer, you control that problem, you'll control everybody that that problem affects. And that's what Ron was getting at, that, you know, these are problems that have taken decades to get serious enough to generate a reward, which is control, not just money. If you have all the money, having a little more money is not that exciting. Having that money or that power that that money represents forever, and you escalate the time span, and you, you can excite people to have it. Well, what can you give me that I don't already have? Well, I can make sure it never gets taken away. Oh, well, then you're now you're creating a dynasty. You know, now you're creating something for them and their offspring, especially if you can offer them the chance to live much longer than they would otherwise normally live. So there's there's people at a, at a high level of power right now that I mean, if they really were to believe like Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, it's okay. We'll destroy this world. We'll just go destroy more. You know, right. we'll just we'll just use this world and we'll just we'll just kill off everybody we don't like and. We'll create robots and clones, and in the words of Dewey's contemporary during, you know, John Dewey, who did the Dewey, Dewey Progressive Education, has got progressively worse, and the more infamous or better known Dewey Decimal System in the library, which is now antiquated because people don't go to libraries anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, "We one of his contemporaries, his his co one of his partners said, we will create a future generation." He said this like this is like World War One. Um, we will create a future world where the people. Well, 90% of the people will have an IQ of under 90, and 10% of the people will have an IQ of over 200. And for the masses to rebel against their masters will be as unthinkable as it is for sheep to rebel against the practice of eating mutton. So it's almost like Ayn Rand and um, Atlas Shrugged. I don't see that there is really a problem. I mean, there's an answer to the problem for the masses of the people who don't care. I think the people who do care... The best it's almost like the best you can do as an individual is find out what kind of options and alternatives you can pursue and then prove that it can be done to those that care and I mean do what you can because the, the mass institutional attitudes and behaviors are um rapidly being locked into place where there is no option because the majority of people are moving to live in the big cities and by the year they say if we go on by by current rates by the year two thousand fifty one third of the earth will live in the mega cities. And the megacities are a complete – they're like tumors of humanity on, on the earth because you have far too many people concentrated in one spot. If you do that with rats, that over-concentration, which is like a concentration camp where the, it's a concentration of population and too small of an area to sustain decent human living, um, rats will eat themselves. If you put them in too many rats and, and many, many other creatures will also right. you put them in too small of an area. So what we're having right now is that there are some serious um, choices that are being made for people who aren't realizing choices are being made for them and their children, and they are all being steered into these larger cities, and um, you know where consumerism is more effectively managed and exploited. It's yeah. exploitation of humanity by humanity's own people. When I was on the on the Navajo Nation, um, you know there was a lot of people out there. And I mean, I mean, it was a small group of people, but it affected a huge group of people. There's mm-hmm. about there's almost 200,000 people out there, and um, alcohol. It's it's okay. The Navajo Nation is basically one fifth to one sixth, or excuse me, one sixth to one fifth in reverse of the state of Arizona. 
parts of Colorado, New Mexico, and Utah. In that area, the alcohol is e technically illegal to distribute or produce or transport in, in large amounts, like like a, a pickup truck full. Um, they occasionally have roadblocks, and they'll check who's hauling alcohol. People will bootleg alcohol in and sell it to their relatives, and they will trade off a, you know, their truck or their trailer for alcohol. It's like it's crack cocaine. Yeah. You know, people who are people yeah. Who are there, yeah, right. So what I'm saying is, in in a larger scale, this is what's taking place in a larger scale in the industrial realm, where you have just like a crack dealer or a heroin dealer or someone with alcohol, you would take something and exploit your own neighbors and relatives with it, and bring them into into abject bondage, slavery, and and suicidal depression, and that's what's happening with a lot of man's um, consumeristic obsessions is that. In our in our blindness to get more, we we end up uh, poisoning ourselves and each other for fun and profit. That's the problem. The the really the the energy it it, it could be crack, it could be beer, you know, because normal people beer is not that big of a deal. I've seen a Navajo person drink a quarter beer, and it's almost like watching someone take ecstasy or other you know drugs. I mean, they they, they it looks to me like they're getting a different experience than what I've seen. But here's the on the on the nitty on the nitty gritty level. They're, as I was told, their livers are smaller, and because their livers are smaller, they get drunk quicker and stay uh -huh. drunk longer because the alcohol can't escape the body. The right. metaphor to that, there's a lot of things right now that, um, like with microwaves, we are exposing ourselves to things for which we really don't know the long-term consequences, and, and we're saturating ourselves. Right, like electrospog. Yeah. And you were even you know, mentioning how uh, most of the population is eventually going to move into these like mega cities and they'll be very right. dense in population. So I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of the ra the ramifications of all that electro smog, which it's just going to, you know, create more disease, create more dysfunction, disrupt brainwave patterns. You know, it's truly going to be like a zombie apocalypse. That's how I see it. Well, you know, I agree, and um, Olaf, you're being patiently quiet over there. And I just want to let you, I want to thank y'all for giving me a chance to be able to communicate this. Hopefully, it'll give some other people for food for thought. They're welcome to disagree with what we're talking about. Sure. The problems remain. Our observations and conclusions may vary, but you know what we're going to do about it. We can do nothing, but that's really not much of an option. But um, Olaf, what are what are your thoughts on all this? Well, I <clears throat> I was just listening. I mean, you know, from my point of view, I've always believed that. Well, you know, there's this whole, like, Georgia Guidestone thing where it's, like, reduce the population of 500 million and live in harmony with nature and Agenda 21. And, you know, I somebody once asked me, they said, well, how do you how do you get to 500 million? And I said, well, people got to die. <laughs> I said, well, people got to die. But I said, it's it's not like you're going to line up 500, you know, six, six billion people or whatever and, and shoot them. Right. You know, they, they put in place these mechanisms that force us to self-attrit or, you know, they do it through attrition. It, the lower, you know, there's there's shit in the water. You know, there's large amounts of hormones in the water that's been proven. You know, there's la large amounts of birth control uh, medication in the water because what comes in goes out, you know, and we don't <clears throat> we don't completely uh, process it. So a lot of these hormones with your birth control pills. They end up back in the water system. 
And so, you know, I, yeah, I think they're, they're affecting the animals too, like frogs oh, yeah. and so forth. Yeah, it, aff- it affects everything. And, and so I think, you know, you've seen birth, birth rates declining in the West, you know, the, a lot of countries, including our own, are having problems uh, keeping up our birth rate. You know, there are certain sections of the the demographic that that are more fertile than others, so to speak, meaning that they more reckless too. They they want they want to have more kids for a variety of reasons, and that doesn't you know that's I don't care that's their beliefs, but but you know at the end of the day. The way you kill six billion people is you put them in hive cities. You know, you, you put them in these hive well, cities get... that are vertical cities. It's you put them in these megaplexes, and they they're living on top of each other. It drives crime rates up. You know, and eventually you'll kill them all off. So I, I definitely see that coming. You know, it's it's something that's the around on- the corner. The only way you can kill off, I mean, like the only way you can do mass reductions of population quickly is famine wars and plagues and and, and we're doing all three and, so uh, <laughs> we're yeah. working right out. right but what you know but what you but what you're talking about is in that category because sure. when it is a if it's a if it's a chemical plague for example neutralizing and sterilizing people um covertly or indirectly is in a way it is a form of a plague but it sterilization it, it yeah but Famines, wars, and plagues. The Chinese have tried to reduce their population. It didn't work, and they were pretty draconian. I mean, they they went about you know actually, yeah, yeah, but it didn't work. No. And if they couldn't do it as aggressive as they were, you know, it 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 calls for different measures. But yeah. um, no, you're you are correct. You are correct that there there is definitely the and like and Ron had mentioned it too with the microwaves and then birth control and other and then other things that that are in our, our man man's modern process over processed food um it's definitely affecting uh productivity and childbirth oh yeah and 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 you know i'm i'm not opposed to people having kids i mean the only thing that i ever say about that is you know have kids if you want them don't don't have kids as right. baggage or you know they're not a social stepping stone they're children they're the little people and you have to take care of them so don't have them unless you want them <laughs> you know well, that's, and, and see that and that's and that's like many of the other things we're talking about is that People have to be responsible. If you're not responsible, you will suffer the consequences. You can delay the consequences. You can try to avoid the consequences. But eventually, we will reap what we sow. And if and our carelessness and our recklessness is is causing problems, too. Okay. I was wanted to mention this before, but I was still a little bit of time. Science is one thing. Scientism is another. The word scientist comes from the word scientism. Scientism is, in the words of uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, he said that he observed scientism is the belief. It is not an organized, you know, religion or philosophy, but nevertheless, it is a mentality or an attitude that only scientific claims are valid. That claim is not valid. Therefore, it self-invalidates. Because scientism... To say that only scientific claims are valid is not a scientific claim. Therefore, it self-invalidates. Most scientists do not realize they are actually direct adherents of scientism. Scientists, and if you look at Buddha, Buddhism, Buddhist, you have science, scientism, scientist. Scientism, Scientism only acknowledges the materialistic world viewpoint. It does not, and every most of the rest of us realize 
there's more to this than meets the eye. There are things that in, that man will, in, in, the, in the words of Carl Jung, I mean, towards the end of his life, he was the guy in the beginning of his life, he said, you know, every, everything is merely, it's a primitive archetype of the collective unconscious. You are imagining things, okay? By the end of his life, he said, there are some things that man will never understand, let alone control. And in the words of Albert Einstein, he had said, it has become painfully obvious to me that man has entirely too much power. And to make matters worse, he wants even more, and he can't even handle what he already has. That was in the 50s. Right. Okay? So, so, you know, those of us that do care and want to do something about this, I wanted to, um, there was a, I, I told you it was for a highly recommended, he's really over, really amazing man. He's, he's passed on now. He's overlooked. Ralph, Dr. Ralph Borsotti. Dr. Ralph Borsotti saw in the early 1900s people were going into um, New York City from other countries, coming there, Statue of Liberty, and they show up like, what do I do now? And they were like, oh, you know, this is not so cool. This is not what I expected. And it's like, how do I move back out to being a peasant again? Because this is, this is pretty brutal. And he basically was saying, you know, look, you know, this is America. You have more freedom. You can get land. Where you came from, you probably couldn't get land as easy as you can get it here. And he outlined a, a, a method, a very, very practical, very, very practical how people could get, you know, it, it was an instructional way that people could get land. They could, you know, he, he basically pioneered a working collective that had no central leadership. It ruled by mutual consent, like a, like a town meeting, a town hall. Everyone that had, they had land, they would pool their resources, they would have, and they would reap Whatever they whatever they reaped in the harvest, they would share on the communal property. Whatever they owned in their house and their own, you know, within on their own property was theirs. The group property was they worked together. The private property or their private garden was their own private property, and every house was completely autonomous. Mm-hmm. He specifically wanted to avoid a small scale dictatorship or tyranny, you know, or a, a, we would call today a cult mentality. He right. wanted every family to be remain totally autonomous, where people could coexist from house to house. And this is the thing: the IR, okay, the UN invited him to come speak, and and, and to their to man's like this is back you know, this is a while back. Um, they wouldn't do it today, but um, the IRS came and investigated him, and they said he had developed he print, was printing his own money. <laughs> and I mean, and he he lived just like the people next to him. He didn't he he specifically avoided this for everyone, including himself. And he had a little community upstate New York, and he'd, he'd people would come and go, and he'd tell them how they could go home and do something similar. He wrote books about it. But what it was, he said, the IRS itself said, after investigating him, they said, as long as he is, the, the tax code affects the U.S. dollar. They are not using U.S. dollars. Therefore, right. they're, what they're doing is not taxable because it's not involving dollar bills. These yeah. are just, they, they, start, they started out with a barter system. And they they actually made you know printed their own little money, so just for the sake of being easier. But it was it wasn't any good once you left the community and went out in the world. It was only good with the people who were you know in agreement. But what happened was he actually made it work, and he detailed it down and had a nut and bolts you know you know procedure and path to get there, starting with just like one person and maybe maybe his immediate family that wanted to move out to the countryside. If he had a couple of relatives, they could go out and you know, get some land together and split it up and everybody have their own place and they would just pull together, you know, where they could pull apart. Um, as a, as a, it's, that's a, another quote from someone else. During the Depression, the president 
But uh, but my point was he made it work. He made it work, and he had a simple plan to get there. Uh, we have too much information. We have access now. You can get the entire Mother Earth news on on a CD-ROM. That I mean, uh, you know, I found some of those books in old magazines one time. A wealth of information. You can get stuff on CD-ROM for free. Everyone assumes they're always going to have contact through the internet to all their favorite, you know, books and downloads and files. If there's anything you really like, you should probably download it and put it on disc so you have it. I was there after Katrina. Uh, networks fall. Things fall apart. And right. you can't assume you're always going to have, um, you know, uh, anything could happen. I mean, like a, a, a like a corona mass ejection or a solar flare would really cripple man. If you said if you if you if you shut down the electrical infrastructure for a day, there would be mass hysteria worldwide. If you, if you could if you crippled it for several months, or whether that's through terrorism or through a natural event like a corona mass ejection. Um, it is it, it, Hollywood cannot portray what would happen to people. They they can only hint at it. But in the meantime, um, Dr. Borsati did have answers in, in in within the context of a functioning uh, you know functioning dysfunctional society. He did lay out how people could go about doing this, and he and he did it at a time when it was not uh, quite so um, shall, shall you say it's not as controversial. So as it would be now. So that that being said, we've we've come to the end of our show. So how do how do people find okay. out? Okay, well, I'm glad I got to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. So, Go ahead. So how how do people find out more about what you're doing? Um, I'm going to say this. Um, there, uh, me personally, um, I guess you could say I'm I'm kind of like a, a historian at the moment. I'm, but I'm I'm more interested in writing the. Um, the history of the future, hopefully, <laughs> you know, sure. kind of before. I'd like, I'd like to provide an alternative. I'm just saying, as far as, yeah, 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 Alvin Toffler. Right. But um, if if you if you do want to look up Dr. Borsati, there's um, they actually there are people that actually reproduce the material. Now that's all a whole CD-ROM of every book he ever wrote, along with a whole bunch of other stuff for like, you know, ten dollars or five dollars. They sell them on eBay. Um, but his name is Borsati, B-O-R-S-O-D-I. There's another little book for anyone that wants to pursue something on a personal level. And it's very, very practical. It has no philosophy or commentary in it. Um, it's very hard to find, but you can you can take it as a, a, a study pattern. There was a guy, he wrote a book, and it was called How to Homestead on Your Own Land with a Travel Trailer for Under $5,000, including the land and the trailer. And it really worked around uh, mining claims. You can get a mining claim. You don't have to mine it. You can just set your travel trailer up. You can't build on the mining claim in the U.S., but you can, like, a little on the river, you know, you, you or a creek, you can get the claim, put up your travel trader, and live really inexpensively, and and then go from there. You can create a, a step to getting somewhere better. But one of the most, the last thing I'd say is finding other people who are relatively like-minded, who will <laughs> remain autonomous without having an emerging uh, egotistical tyrant dictator, you know, cult mentality. It's it's the people. The people we we are all people. And um, as by way of closing. Finding like-minded people you can continue to work with, good people are hard to find. And if you can, if you have a few real friends, guard them well and and trust and, and be there for each other because there really is there are no easy answers. There is hope, but you're not going to just solve everybody else's problems for them. You, you know, you you want to find some people who will reciprocate and work with each other so you don't become an ingrown survivalist who just obsesses on like you said. They talk all about the problem, but they don't have any answers. Well, if, if that's no hope. if that's not a sales pitch for Camp Paranoia, I don't know what. I know. Is. I was thinking the same thing. That's it just a, sounds like uh, right up our alley for 
for Camp yeah. Paranoia. Yeah, that's yeah, they, that, that, and that's where the show started. So we come right. full circle. Yeah, yeah. You just, you just sold, that, dude. Yeah. You just sold Camp Paranoia for me. <laughs> well, I'm good because I ate, I ate into the end of your your hour probably, but but what it was, I've heard it said that fear, fear is fear. Big fear is is hope that was not acted upon. <laughs> you know? Fear is a mind killer, you, man. It is, and it's psychological warfare. We're in the we're in the age of psycho spiritual warfare, whether we like it or not. You know, That's true. So hope is a powerful thing. So um, anytime, if uh, in the few, I appreciate the chance to be out here. I hope I gave people something to think about. I hope um, people know that uh, I'm, I'm learning along with everybody else. I have. I am speaking from experience. I'm not just speaking. I'm not just regurgitating theories or opinions I heard on some, some somewhere else. It's it's a result of my life journey and saga. And I've been yep. outside America a lot, outside America as well as um, from with the rich, the poor, and everyone in between sure. around great. the world. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back on because yes. I mean, we never talked about inertial propulsion. We never talked about gyro systems and. Uh, Super magnets and all that good stuff. stuff yeah. Oh yeah. So thanks so much for yeah, coming on, Garen. Yes, sir. Well, I look forward to um, and I hope to uh, meet up with y'all. Maybe uh, let's say I, I I hope I can come and I can I hope I can come camp with y'all. Oh, that would yeah. be awesome. Right on. Hopefully okay. it'll be successful. Well, thank y'all. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Yep. Yep. All right. You're welcome. Well, that that was another thrilling episode of the Paranoia Podcast. I'm going to keep it brief. Uh, we'll let you know when Camp Paranoia is up on the GoFundMe. Listen to the goddamn show. Tell your friends about it. Uh, find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Email us, paranoiamagazine.com. And you know what? Be excellent to each other. Ron? Take good gear and keep the faith. All right, people. Have a good night. Thank you for listening to Paranoia Radio, hosted by Olav Phillips and Ron Patton. Sponsored by Paranoia Magazine. Read it now. Paranoiamagazine.com Intro theme, The Guide, was composed by Scott Moon. ScottMoon.net Outro theme, Fighting Trousers, is by Professor Elemental. ProfessorElemental.com Voiceover written and performed by Mr. Lobo, host of Cinema Insomnia. Watch new episodes on OSI 74. Visit us at OSI74.com We are resuming control. For now.